Thanks for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. You've joined us for our Advent series, The Women of Christmas. You can find us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Village on Casino Road. Or you can visit us on our website, southeverett.org. Thanks again for downloading. Enjoy today's podcast. God showed us his love for us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. This is what love is. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and set his son to, to be the means by which our sins are forgiven. This week we start to learn and reflect a little bit more on the greatest love story ever told. So this love story involves men and women that were committed to God and were faithful and loved him faithfully. So out of the many reasons Jesus came down to the earth, like to do the will of his Father and to save us, to bring light to this dark world, to destroy the enemy's work, to bear witness, to give eternal life, I want to focus on three big things, which is to demonstrate what true humility looks like to reveal God's love for us sinners, and to bring peace. Um, it was always God loved us first. He proved it through this amazing love story that we're gonna be digging into in the next few weeks. And through his powerful love, we're able to love him and we're able to love others. Part of our tradition for South Everett is acknowledging the Advent, the Advent, which means the coming. So the first candle this morning is gonna be lit by John. You can pass. Thank you. I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter nine. <clears throat> for to us, a child is born. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are distressed. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of, this, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. To bring peace, to be loved, to shine nearer to us, you have come. To bring life, to be light, to shine brighter in us, so Emmanuel. God, we. 
Todo el mundo siente 
to Advent this year, this 2022 Advent season, the anticipation of Jesus. We will be celebrating the Advent uh, season. Uh, I'm excited about our Advent theme for this year, which is the women of Christmas. I just felt as I was preparing that this was heavy in information. And what we've been talking about through the book of Acts is that information is good, but the power and the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit is even better. So as we slog through some information today, my hope is that the presence of the Holy Spirit will set us free uh, in some areas. And so, like I said, feeling a little heavy on information, also feeling like this is coming across a little bit like a persuasive argument, which I don't think it needs to be. But in the greater body of Christ, this topic about women in ministry um, has been an area of conflict and an area of pain for many people. And so um, I want this to be a word of admonishment. I want this to be a word of encouragement. And that was stirring in my spirit last night, feeling unsettled, just asking the Lord to do more than just the transfer of information, but that the Lord would set us free and help us to see the scriptures as clearly as possible. But last night, the wind woke me up. I don't know if anyone was woke up by the windstorm that came you know, I, I'm not usually woken up by the wind, but it woke me up last night a little bit before two in the morning. And so I got up and I was already unsettled. I went outside and I just were out to the window and just watched as the rain blew in every direction. And I, and I was praying and I felt like the Lord said that my power and my provision will be your peace in the storm. And so then I went and I laid back down. And I just began praying this prayer, kind of half asleep, half awake. But my prayer in regards to this morning was that the Lord would overwhelm our land with a flood of his spirit. And that is this congregation. It's the neighborhood around and even beyond that. And this is what I heard the Lord respond to me last night. He said, I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon women who sense a lid upon their ministry because they are women. I will freshly pour my spirit out upon those who have been told that they cannot be in ministry. They cannot lead in the church because they are women. That's what I felt like the Lord said. And so I want to bring that to us this morning. Curious to know if that might be the case for anyone. You don't have to share that. But as the church has ventured through the years and as we've interpreted scripture, one of the social dynamics that comes from that in many denominations is that women are not allowed to teach or preach. Clearly, having been around here, you know that Foursquare is a denomination that invites and encourages women to teach and to preach. You see that, and so I don't sense that it's a point of contention within this room or this space, but I wanted to just talk about it so that we're better equipped, and there's a reason why this is an important time to do that. Now, before I share that, I want to tell you the last thing that happened as I laid my head back down. I just checked the time on the clock. And the time on the clock when I laid my head back down during the midst of that storm was 1.57 a.m. And I sensed the Lord say, just look that up in the morning. And I thought, okay, look it up. And, and usually I forget things like that, but I remembered. And I got up this morning, and thank you, Google. Helps us find things faster than we could normally find ourselves. But the idea was that there was chapter 1, verse 57, something to look up. Turns out there's only one chapter 1, verse 57 in the entire Bible. I didn't realize that. It's Luke 1, verse 57, and it says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And she gave birth to a son. I turned to a commentary that I often go to by Charles Swindoll, and this is up here. You can read along. This is about Luke 1, 57, a commentary on that verse. It says, You may be waiting patiently for God to work. If the truth were known, perhaps you are waiting impatiently for God to work, but you are waiting. Perhaps you're holding on to a promise from God, a message of hope you once found in his word. And clinging to this promise has kept you from falling into the dark abyss of despair. Let me encourage you to keep tight grip on that promise. Hold on to it. Just as a remnant of Israel clung to the closing words of Malachi's oracle through 400 years of dark silence, godly men and women waited on the Lord's perfect timing, trusting his word. It is said that the night is darkest just before the dawn. The days of Herod, king of Judea, could not have been darker. Then the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. That's from Charles Swindoll's The New Testament Insights. 
And so if it is for anyone here in this room who is a woman, or if it is for anyone that you know who is a woman, I have felt impressed to highlight some of the things that the Foursquare family holds very dearly in regards to women in ministry, things that we champion together, the full ordination of women in ministry. It's good that we spend time talking about that, and it's timely that we spend talking about, spend some time talking about that, given the historical moment our Foursquare family is walking into. In 1923, in January of 1923, Sister Amy Simple McPherson, who was the founder of the Foursquare Church, you see some pictures of her up there, walked into Angela's Temple, which is up there behind a brand new building, I'll tell you more about it in just a minute, and preached her first sermon, and the Foursquare Church was born. That happened a hundred years ago, and I just thought, given the centennial, our denomination is making a, appropriately a very big deal of that in 2023, the 100th anniversary of the life of the Foursquare Church. Uh, I just thought that maybe this would be a good year to talk about women in ministry. And so, context again, a little bit of academia this morning. We want to talk a little bit about our own Foursquare history, what that looks like. Some might be familiar with it, some might not be. I sent a link to a 26-minute documentary about Sister Amy that Foursquare produced. It tells a really, really cool story of why this particular group of people is sitting in this room today and why we call ourselves South Everett Foursquare Church 100 years after this woman, used by God, did some pretty incredible things. So we want to talk about that. Secondly, I want to explore and just give a real rough overshot of where we see women showing up in leadership roles throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then I want to do a little bit of reconciliation work in the New Testament scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2 that specifically tell the church that women are not to speak up in church. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, so the encounter I had with the Lord this morning that I told you about led me to this, is that um, I don't want to cling to the information as much as I want to cling to the move of the Holy Spirit in us and through us today. In January of 1923, Amy Simple McPherson preached her first sermon at Angela's Temple. Anyone been there? Anyone been to? Yes, you've been there. It's a wonderful site. It's the, it's the site of our 2023 Foursquare Connection in May, so all the Foursquare leaders from around the world will be gathering there. It's a beautiful space. Um, our movement, in fact, was started by this woman in a 1918 eight-cylinder Oldsmobile in Los Angeles. So you see that vehicle up there. Jesus is coming soon. Get ready. This was Amy Simple McPherson and how the church began. The Foursquare Church is now a global movement, as many of you know. 8.8 million people declare themselves as a part of the Foursquare family in over 150 countries around the world. So it's pretty cool how this movement has gone forward. It's missional at its core. It believes in up, raising up leaders from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of places. And so in 1921, all sorts of things started to happen before the church was planted, but they were having revival meetings. People were coming together. They were hearing about Jesus. There is a documented day in Denver in 1921 called Stretcher Day. And it's when Amy Simple showed up in Denver and just invited the hospitals to empty their wards to show up and just lay mats and, and all over the, the place where they were preaching and people were being healed and getting up and walking away without their stretchers, without their crutches, without any of the aids that brought them to that place. And it's documented in the Denver Post and other newspapers that these kinds of things were happening. Multitudes of individuals with wheelchairs just walking away. Uh, later, it was documented at Angelus Temple, once the church had been built, that when people were picked up in ambulances from car crashes and other places and heart attacks around the city, instead of going to the hospital, the ambulance drivers would bring the sick patients to Angelus Temple first. So within a few years of these tent revival meetings, they decided they need a bigger place to meet. And Amy had about $5,000. She went to a contractor with $5,000 and said, I'd like to build a building to host all these people in. And the contractor said, well, Amy, $5,000, that's going to get you a big hole in the ground. And she said, well, that's okay. You dig the hole and God will fill it up. This was her faith in, from 1921 until 1923. That took place. The money started coming in. People would literally bring 
two by fours and concrete and rebar and things to the construction site. And that church, Angelus Temple, was debt free the day it opened in January of 1923. Amen. Remarkable how the Lord has used our founder to do pretty remarkable things. So then in February uh, the, of that year, the first Foursquare Bible Institute opened up. That is still Life Bible College. You can go to it if you're a kid. Uh, it's the Lighthouse for International Foursquare Evangelism in San Dimas, California. It's where many Foursquare pastors are still trained today. And over the following five years, missionaries were sent to India. A hundred churches were planted. Foursquare became an official denomination, established a radio station, uh, which was thriving in Los Angeles for more than 80 years and has been known to provide for the needs of over 1.5 million people during the Great Depression. This is what the Lord used our founder to do. And so how do we grapple with that? How do we wrestle with this? Knowing that there are many denominations who claim Jesus who aren't at this point providing spaces for women to teach and preach, and Foursquare does. These are conversations we have to have, but things not that we break relationship over. It was first said by St. Augustine in the 4th century, then by John Wesley in the 18th century, and then by Amy a lot in the 20th century. She said this, In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, charity. And in all things, love. So the body of Christ, as we talked about, has a vast array of takes on the role of women in church leadership. These takes are based on two specific scriptures in the New Testament that we'll look about, look at in a minute. But before sharing those passages, I just wanted to state that Foursquare's stance on women in ministry is not considered to be one of those essential doctrines. So we look that up and we see, okay, in non-essentials, charity. So can some churches ordain women? based on their understanding of what the scriptural text says. And some churches in this season not. We have to make space for each other. We're not interested in breaking relationships with other churches that don't ordain women. As the Foursquare Church, that's not something we're interested in doing. But Foursquare's stance on women in ministry as a non-essential doctrine of the church uh, means that it's important but not critically important to the issue of salvation. So when we talk about things that are essential we're talking about the deity of Jesus. Is Jesus the Son of God? This is how you know you can work arm in arm in the, in the proclamation of the gospel with other groups who see parts of Scripture differently. We all have to agree that Jesus is the Son of God if we're going to do ministry together. Now, we don't have to agree on that to partner together because we're a partner of the village. And not everybody who's a part of the village is, is confessing Jesus. But... We can partner together to do good work in the neighborhood. But Jesus is our core when someone else might have a different core. But Jesus, is he the son of God? We have to agree on the resurrection of Jesus. That is also an essential doctrine. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we can be friends, but we, we can't celebrate Easter together. We believe that Jesus was the one true born son of God resurrected, died and resurrected, and that the only way that we find salvation is through our confession that we can't do it in our own strength. If we can get together on that, we can have different processes for baptism. Hallelujah, don't we know we have different processes for baptism? We can have different understandings of the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people can say it's speaking in tongues. Some people can say it's something else. Guess what? We're still in relationship with each other. We can have different understandings of the role of women in ministry. That's okay, but what we can't afford to do at any given time is stop loving each other in the process. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, charity. And in all things, love. So that's how Foursquare buddies up with a bunch of other denominations that don't ordain women in ministry. We're not interested in having a fight about it, but we are interested in contending for what we understand Scripture to say about that, and that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Those who would say that women, faithfully would say women are not to speak publicly in the church, go to two different passages. We'll look at them completely in just a minute. They are 1 Corinthians 14. 26 through 39 about orderly worship if you want to go there and just mark it we will also go to first timothy 2 9 through 15 instructions for worship 
And based on these passages, it's been widely held by many that women are not to take up these roles of leadership within the church, and I respect those who feel that way, even though I feel differently. The women should not speak publicly in the church. We obviously make space for that, and it's because of the scriptures. And so this is a good time to stop and say, well, if there are specific passages of scripture that say women are not allowed to teach, we should heed to those things, right? I mean, it clearly says it in the Bible that women should be silent in church. It takes us back to the the conversations we need to have about scriptural context. So whenever we turn to the scriptures, we have to ask ourselves some questions. Who wrote what it is that I'm reading? Is probably the first question that we need to ask. Who wrote this? Because the Bible was authored by more than 40 different authors from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of centuries and all kinds of cultures. So who wrote what it is that I'm reading? Secondarily, who was it written to? Because it wasn't written to me first. They didn't write this to Chris Pepler at South Everett Foursquare Church. I can glean from it, but I have to understand the original context because I am reading a letter from one person to another. We have to understand what the writer's intent was. Intent is so important in a culture that takes everything out of context. Snippets and sound bites, apart from the whole, can be used to say all sorts of different things. And the, the final question is the long view. How does what I'm reading right now fit within the full context of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation? But it's easy at first glance. I get why this is the case, why one might believe that Leadership positions in ministry belong to men alone. Why would it be easy to believe that? Well, we have the patriarchs. We have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all men. We have the 12 sons of Jacob, right? We got the tribes of Israel. We have Moses and Aaron. We have Joshua. We have judges, 11 of whom were men of the 12. We have King Saul and King Solomon and King David. And we have the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, all men. We have Jesus and the 12 disciples who are all men. So it's easy to just be like, well, yeah, God uses men. And then 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians confirm it. So let's move on and have a different conversation. But the cultural context of the day was also a huge part of the superiority that was placed on men. When you look at Middle Eastern culture at the time of Christ, it was an even more dominated culture by men than the cultures that we experience today. Men were it. That was it. And so we have to remember the context of which this was written in. How people understood things inside and outside of the Hebrew context. So it's easy to look past these things. But if we look to scripture, if we're faithful to the scripture, we find women leaders filling predominant roles in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't have time to dig into these, but I can put them on the screen behind me. We have Miriam, the prophetess. Oh, So female prophets in the Bible. Got it. Exodus 15, 20. It's mentioned as one of the, she is mentioned as one of the three leaders that led the Israelites out of Egyptian oppression. One of three. Deborah was established as one of Israel's 12 judges. So, oh, women can be prophetess and they can be judges. We see in Judges 4.8, Barak, who was her assistant, deferred to her because he recognized her gift and her calling. So we see it in Judges. With Huldah, advised both the high priest and the kings when the books of the law were found in 621 B.C. That's in 2 Kings. We see women deferring to men in leadership positions. We see Esther, who became the queen of the Persian Empire save the lives of her people through her bravery. We know that Isaiah's wife is also referred to as the prophetess. So we see these in Old Testament scriptures that there are women assuming prominent positions of leadership. And then as we turn to Matthew's gospel, which we talked about just a few weeks ago, we see a disciple of Jesus, one of the, uh, sorry, we see the disciples, and then we see the 12 apostles. When we go to the scriptures, we see that an argument is being made that there are many disciples and then there were 12 apostles. But amongst the disciples, there were women disciples. We'll look at that on Christmas Eve. But the Jews were greatly anticipating a Messiah who came from Abraham. That's true, right? They were greatly anticipating a Messiah who came from the line of David. And so Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, 
trying to make his best case that Jesus was the Messiah, did a couple things that he should not have done if he wanted a Hebrew group of people to believe that Jesus was the one that they should follow. He did three things. He included in his genealogy, this is Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1, going all the way through verse 16 and into 17. It's the long list of names. It's what my mentor Ray Baki called Matthew's Cemetery Tour. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Why would you start a gospel with a list of dead people? Well, it's proving that Jesus was connected to David. It was connected to Abraham. The thing you didn't do in that instance was put notorious sinners in the story. You didn't put notorious sinners in, in the family tree. Right. You didn't do that. And even though we see this does skip generations, it's not a full genealogical list every generation, but the son of, the son of, the son of allows in Hebrew culture and context to skip over generations. So we knew that they could skip some people, but they didn't skip a whole bunch of notorious sinners when you stop looking, start looking up that list. The other thing you do not include in genealogies, the thing you do not include in genealogies is women at all. You just don't in Hebrew culture. So there's at least four. So we got notorious sinners. We got notorious female sinners. And then finally, he included notorious international female sinners in his genealogy. Where do you think Matthew picked up the priorities in his genealogy? But from Jesus, whom he'd spent three years walking with. So not only do we see Old Testament references to women in ministry. We see Matthew, who was a disciple of Jesus, writing to the Jewish people, including women, which was a no-no. Including international women, which was a no-no. He included them in the story, and their lives made a difference. As you said, Lorraine, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, not Jewish, not all pious, not men, but all were used. I want to look at Acts 2. 14 through 21 again. We were just here. Peter addressing the crowd after the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. It says in verse 14 of chapter 2, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you carefully. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's going back to the scriptural references that they would understand, would have memorized, and had learned in Hebrew school. Verse 17. It says, In the last days God uh, says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to be turned to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My spirit will be poured out on men and women, my daughters and sons. The spirit of God will be poured out those gathered in the upper room we see in the text waiting for the promised Holy Spirit were not all men. There were women disciples in that room waiting as well. Tongues of fire fell on their heads, which according to the Old Testament scriptures was a reference used when the Spirit of God had really harnessed and landed with somebody. That's what those tongues of fire represented, like the presence of God over the tabernacle in the wilderness. That's the representation. We go all the way back to the Old Testament. God has chosen these individuals. He's anointed these men and these women. Those gathered, both men and women, had become living tabernacles. Just more and more scriptural evidence in the full context. So this preview is important to keep in mind as we look at Paul's two texts. We have to keep everything we've talked about for the last 15 minutes in mind when we go to two passages of scripture in the New Testament, which we can't ignore, but we have to grapple with seriously for what it probably is. What we see here, we see the Holy Spirit equipping for supernatural ministry without discrimination to all of God's people. 26 through 39 in 1 Corinthians 14. Good order in worship. 
What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should also speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So the scripture does speak to order. Then it says in verse 34, women should remain, remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So we have to look at the, that passage. We have to understand what's happening there. We have to grapple with the fact that it says that women should remain silent in church, and yet our assistant pastor is a woman who speaks in this church. Vanessa speaks in this church on a regular basis. So how do we grapple with these things? Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts, which we'll be talking about more in the month of January. I want us to turn to 1 Timothy 2 to look at verses 9 through 15, instructions on worship. Beginning actually is here in verse 8. It says, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women to profess during worship. Verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and later became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with propriety. These are scriptures we don't turn to a lot because we don't know exactly what to do with them. Because you read that and you go, that's rough. And so we, we pass over them. But again, if it were the case that Paul was saying to the church at Corinth that women should keep quiet in the church, it would also be the case that he is in sharp disagreement with Peter, who said that all people are filled and baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. So is it the case that Peter and Paul are at odds with each other, or is something else going on? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Thank you. Just scrolling through the rest of my notes here to figure out where I should pick up where you got that. That's a beautiful thing. And no, that's, that is, that cultural context is, is important to understand that when we look at those two passages of scripture, which are hard to read, we have to look at the context. That was one letter written from one leader to another leader about one specific church. One specific church. So we have to read that and we have to look back at the whole of what we've been finding in Scripture. Under the custody of the law, these, these Hebrew people were struggling to do things according to their strength and their ability. But Galatians is all about freedom. And in Galatians it says, As we clothe ourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. It's how we navigate our way through these very challenging passages of Scripture. Speaking again to what Robin has said, what's interesting about the passage in 1 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, who was at the time pastoring in Ephesus. So Paul planted the church in Ephesus. Timothy was there for a while. John took the train and ran it for 30 years, pastoring in that city. But in this context in which this letter was written at that time, 
it very well could have been the case that the reason why the women were speaking up about the law, because here come Paul and Timothy and John and others saying, no, we are free from the Old Testament laws that governed us. We are free in Christ. We don't have to follow ceremonial ritual any longer. But false teachers would come back in and say, no, 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 you have to follow the rules because if, we, if everyone is just free in Christ, then like, how do we control stuff? The challenge was in Hebrew culture, women were not allowed to be educated in the church. And so women often became easy targets for those who wanted to profess works above grace. And so a lot of these women became the most vocal proponents of uh, this kind of oppressed gospel that exploited roles for financial gain. And women just became easy targets for that. And so when Timothy and Paul pull these ladies together, essentially what they're saying, and you look at the words as they, they play out in the Greek, Paul chooses to use the word silence when he says women should be used silenced. He used it 12 other times in the New Testament, and it meant silence, like, shh, stop talking. But in this instance, he used the word heshuia, which has more to do with a person's attitude than it does with their speech. He used a different word than shh. He said, quiet your mind. Because most likely what Timothy was doing was preparing these women educating these women so there, there could be more ministers of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. That's most likely what was happening in this situation. So calm down and cease from these arguments to be quiet for a moment so that we can bring to you the message that you will take to others as full ministers of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how we work through passages like this. And Robin, I just want to publicly thank you for, for sharing what you did so articulately and uh, for being a prayer warrior, for someone who's grounded in the word, and grounded in community. It's a valuable gift to this congregation. And what Robin has done is so eloquently illustrated the exact point. God works through all of us. We have to grapple with these passages, but we have to look at the whole of Scripture. We don't have time today yet to get to all the New Testament passages about women disciples. We'll do that on Christmas Eve, Eve. In the next three weeks, we will take time to talk about Elizabeth and Mary and Anna. But my hope, again, going back to what the Lord shared with me early this morning when he said, my power and my provision will be your peace in the storm. And I felt the Lord said, I will pour my Holy Spirit freshly upon women who sense a lid upon their ministry because they're women. So that may be here. Uh, that's not something that you need to share publicly. Uh, but if you want to come talk to us, uh, I just think every once in a while it's, an appro it's appropriate for a, to us to address these things and be equipped with these scriptures because we're all part of the church that ordains women and to look at the whole of scripture and to understand that these passages are important. We cannot throw them out, but we have to look to the context of what they were. But even to the youngest women in our midst, you are qualified and equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be ministers of the gospel, not secondary ministers, full ministers of the gospel. We've seen it in scripture. We've seen it in our own history as Foursquare celebrates 100 years being a church that was founded by a woman and did all the things, like the works used her. I would encourage you to watch that. It's a hokey video. I mean, it's an old video, but it is worth watching to see the way that Amy, Sister Amy contextualized culture. She was in Los Angeles. It was Hollywood. And so Angeles Temple, I forgot to mention this one, it was built, it sat 5,300 people, was filled three times a day, seven days a week. And see the math on how many people were coming. Sister Amy rode horses into Angelus Temple. She rode motorcycles into Angelus Temple. She did everything that she could to present the gospel in a way that would make sense for people living in Hollywood. It's a theater. It still is today. One thing we are actively working on as a Foursquare family since uh, Pastor Randy Remington, who was the pastor of New Life Foursquare just up the street before he became the pastor of Beaverton Foursquare, and now is the president of Foursquare, he created 
a big organizational mess. Anytime you restructure an entire organization, it creates a mess. Some people got hurt, some feet got stepped on. It was a difficult process, but he did it anyways, and we're, we're working through this. But we have been realigned as a U.S. church to eliminate redundancies in our processes to free up a whole bunch of money so that we can focus on building a more complete leadership pipeline for women and ethnic minorities to become lead pastors and leaders in our movement. So they took the whole thing and just blew it up and restructured it for that purpose. And that's important to us, and that's, that's important to our movement now. And we realize as a movement that sometimes you say you believe one thing, and you're like, great, you believe in women in ministry. Why are there no women lead pastors in your movement? And you're like, well, that's, that's again the fight against the culture, which Jesus was fighting against. We'll get to that as well. But our denominations that work with that, and uh, I want to be a part of doing that and elevating leaders uh, from all different backgrounds. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the complicated passages. We thank you for the grace to move through them. God, we thank you that you have given us minds and hearts and souls and spirits and relationships to consider all of these things and to grapple with them. Lord, we want to pray for unity in the body of Christ beyond Foursquare, beyond the Episcopalians, beyond the Baptists or the Methodists or the Assemblies of God churches or the Nazarene church. Lord, we all, we're, all, we're all just people following you and we, we, we look at scriptures differently. And Lord, I believe that there are many faithful followers of you who see this passage and others differently. And Lord, we ask for the strength to be unified in that. The ability to extend grace to one another in that, but to confidently stand on what we believe your word is saying about ministry and to live into that as fully and completely as we possibly can. And so we, we, we pray that as we head into this season of Advent, that you God, would do so much in us and through us in our way of understanding, that we would learn more from the women leaders in the Christmas story and be empowered. In Jesus' name. Hey, Chris. Yes, so I, feel right. like, I feel like uh, God wants to just empower uh, the women in the room here um, in, in things that may have gotten lost. I feel like the Lord wants to, to re-put that vision in your heart and to not have fear, but to walk out on those things that God's called you to do. Um, and, I want, and I want to see the Lord kind of just stir that up in those passions and desires. Um, can we just... Is that okay? Absolutely. Um, yeah, why don't, why don't we have, if you would feel comfortable to come up and yeah, lay hands on yes, our please. our sisters in Christ. And Ryan is going to lead us in this time. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Lord, we, we just uh, thank you, Lord. God, we're so thankful, Lord, that you're here this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, that you've uh, called us and you've gathered us. Lord, I thank you for these women here, Lord, that you've called, God, that you've commissioned, Lord, that you've placed in their hearts, Lord, that you've given them visions and dreams, God. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just continue to unlock those things that you've called them to, Lord. And God, we thank you, Lord, for the things that you've called them to do. Lord, we thank you for, um, Lord, ministry, Lord, that you've called them to do, Lord. And I pray, that, Lord, that you would just unlock these very things Lord, that you've called them to do. God, that you would just stir in their hearts, Lord, the things, Lord, that even may have, have gone in the past, Lord. I pray that you'd bring for, forefront into their mind and their hearts, Lord, that they would begin to walk in these things. God, we just thank you, Lord, that you've called them to greatness. Lord, greatness, Lord. God, we thank you for greatness, Lord. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that these women, Lord, Lord, are called by you, Lord, that you've ordained them. God, that you've called them to be ministers. God, that you've, you've set them forth. God, I pray that you would just put that in their hearts, Lord, as they would continue to walk in the obedience that you've called them to walk in, Lord. God, that you would give them the voice, Lord, to speak, Lord, boldly. Lord, we thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for these women, Lord. I, I just want to say that um, I thank Brian so much for coming here today. And I believe the Holy Spirit um, is speaking through him. And this idea of this prayer for our women yeah. is just deep in the spirit from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, continue to adorn uh, these women with your purity, with your power, with your presence. God, uh, we just 
just again repeat uh, just that you would help them dream God, that you would as Chris said um, take these the lids that have been put on top of them or things that have been said to them Jesus that may they always see you uh, before them that you are leading and you are guiding and you are the great uh, over-shepherd and you are shepherding us and continue to shepherd them in just the ministries that you've called them to and the leadership roles. God, may they do so with humility and just with your, your servant heart. Last night was one of the windiest evenings that I experienced. Now, in the upper room, there was both wind and fire. Yes, I see that from Pastor. Now imagine all the wind. I looked up it on my uh, app for the weather, and it was going 24 miles an hour around here. Does that sound more like God coming through here and saying, "I'm here. I'm here to help." Lord, we choose to receive what you have for us today. We choose to pause long enough to hear it. Mm-hmm. We choose to listen before we speak. And to realize that the words that you give us may be life-changing. And so we choose to speak them. And I pray, standing with these women, and those that are serving in the back rooms, Lord, today, pour out your spirit in a new way. Yes that you would use us, that you would lift our eyes above the problems of the day and bring hope instead of despair. That we would bring life because of what you have done. Can you lift praises to the Lord for the in this room?